It's hard to find the time to read all of the best articles on Bitcoin and the crypto economy. So let me read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. I wasn't sure what I was going to read today, and then I got some fresh Bitcoin wastes, all this energy FUD in my Twitter feed, and I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure the next one in Parker Lewis's Gradually Then Suddenly series talks about just this topic. So that is what we are doing again on unchained-capital.com. This is, oh man, I think it's part four of the Gradually Then Suddenly series, and it is titled Bitcoin Does Not Waste Energy. How many times have you heard the safety instructions before a standard commercial flight? You probably know them by heart, but every time prior to takeoff, flight attendants instruct passengers traveling with children to put their oxygen mask on first and then tend to the children. Instinctively, it's counterintuitive. Logically, it makes all the sense in the world. Make sure you can breathe so that the child dependent on you can breathe too. The same principle applies to the coordination function of money in an economy and the resources required to protect that function. In a more philosophical safety warning, the flight attendant may say, Please make sure the money supply is secure so that we can continue to coordinate the activity of millions of people to build these hyper-complex planes that afford you the opportunity to even contemplate the problem I'm about to explain. We will come back to this, but you will never hope to understand the justification for the amount of energy Bitcoin consumes without first developing an appreciation for the fundamental role money plays in coordinating economic activity. What is money? How does it work? How should it work? What is its function in society? If you haven't stopped to ask these questions, you can't begin to grasp the weight of the problem Bitcoin intends to solve. And without an appreciation for the problem, the cost to secure the solution will never seem justified. Any number of concerned onlookers raise the red flag about the amount of energy consumed by the Bitcoin network. This concern stems from the idea that the energy consumed by the Bitcoin network could otherwise be utilized for more productive functions, or that it is just plain bad for the environment. Both ignore the fundamental magnitude of how critical Bitcoin's energy consumption actually is. In the long game, there may be no greater, more important use of energy than that which is deployed to secure the integrity of a monetary network, and constructively, in this case, the Bitcoin network. But that doesn't stop those who do not understand the problem from raising concerns. Quote, the fundamentally wasteful nature of Bitcoin mining means there's no easy technological solution coming, end quote. The Guardian, quote, In the context of climate change, raging wildfires, and record-breaking hurricanes, it's worth asking ourselves hard questions about Bitcoin's environmental impact, end quote. Vice Media. Bitcoin Energy Consumption. For background, 
Bitcoin is secured by a decentralized network of nodes, computers running the Bitcoin protocol. Economic nodes within the network generate, validate, and relay transactions, as well as validate and relay Bitcoin block, time-sequenced groups of transactions. Mining nodes perform similar functions, but also perform Bitcoin's proof-of-work function to generate, solve, and transmit blocks to the rest of the network. By performing this work, miners validate history and provide a, quote, clearing function for current transactions, which all other nodes then check for validity. Think the clearing function of the New York Fed, but on a completely decentralized basis every 10 minutes, on average. The work performed requires massive amounts of processing power contributed by miners all over the world, running 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. This processing power requires energy. For context, at 75 exa hashes per second, the Bitcoin network currently consumes approximately 7 to 8 gigawatts of power, which translates to $9 million per day, or roughly $3.3 billion per year of energy, at a marginal cost of $0.05 cents per kilowatt hour. Rough estimates. Based on national averages in the U.S., the Bitcoin network consumes as much power as approximately 6 million homes. Yeah, it is definitely a lot of power, but it is also what secures and backs the Bitcoin network. How could this much energy be justified? And what will Bitcoin consume when a billion people are using it? The dollar works just fine, right? Well, that's just the thing. It doesn't. These resources are being devoted to fix a problem most don't understand exists, which makes justifying a derivative cost challenging. To help ease the pain of environmentalists and social justice warriors, we often point out a number of countervailing narratives to make it seem more palatable. Point. A significant portion of Bitcoin's energy consumption is generated from renewable resources. Bitcoin will spur innovation in the development of renewable energy technology and resources. Bitcoin consumes energy that is otherwise wasted, if not flared into the atmosphere. Bitcoin consumes only the energy that the free market will bear at a free market rate. Bitcoin consumes energy resources that would otherwise not be economic to develop. And the nature of Bitcoin energy demand will improve the efficiency of energy grids. These considerations help enumerate why a simple view that Bitcoin's energy consumption is necessarily wasteful or necessarily bad for the environment fails the proverbial test. However, without an appreciation for the enormity of the monetary problem Bitcoin intends to solve, the marginal cost could never be justified. Bitcoin represents a solution to the systemic issues that exist within our legacy monetary framework, and it relies on energy consumption to function. Economic stability depends on the function of money, and Bitcoin provides a more sound monetary framework, which is why there is no more important long-term use of energy than securing the Bitcoin network. So rather than expand on the many individual counterpoints to the mainstream narrative, there is no better place to focus than the first principal problem itself, the money problem 
or the global QE quantitative easing problem. See here. The function of money. The problem of money is enormous, though most people do not recognize it. Most can feel it in their daily lives but cannot identify the root cause. Working harder, longer hours, going into debt, and still barely getting by. There has to be a better way, but in order to identify a solution, one has to first see and understand the problem. The problem that exists is with our money, and the impact it has on society is pervasive. Without getting into the details of what money is, read The Bitcoin Standard or Nick Zabo's Shelling Out, we can more easily describe its function in society. Money is the good that facilitates economic coordination between parties that otherwise would not have a basis to cooperate. Put simply, it is the good that allows society to function, and it allows us to accumulate the capital that makes our lives better, which takes different forms for different people. There is a saying that money is the root of all evil, but as Hayek more appropriately describes it in The Road to Serfdom, money is an agent of freedom. Quote, Money is one of the greatest instruments of freedom ever invented by man. End quote. F.A. Hayek, The Road to Serfdom. More specifically, money is the good that allows for specialization and the division of labor. It allows individuals to pursue their own interests. It is how individuals communicate their preferences to the world, whether in work or in leisure, and it is what creates the, quote, range of choice we all take for granted. Our modern economy is built on the foundation of freedom that money provides, but the end result is a highly complex and specialized system. To simplify the concept, Milton Friedman explains the complexity of a pencil, see here, detailing how no one individual is capable of producing a standard lead pencil. He details the wood required, the saw to cut the wood, the steel to make the saw, the iron ore to make the steel, the lead, the rubber for the eraser, the brass ring, the yellow paint, the glue, etc., he explains how making a single pencil requires the coordination and cooperation of thousands of people, including people who don't speak the same language, who likely practice different religions, and who may even hate each other if they were ever to meet in person. And he explains that the ability to cooperate is a function of the price system and the economic good we call money. Abstracting from the pencil, now consider the complexity of our modern economy. From cars, to airplanes, to the internet, to mobile phones, even to your local grocery store. Modern supply chains are so complex and so specialized that they require the coordination of millions of people to deliver any of these basic functions. The orchestration of all this activity, which fuels global trade, is only made possible by the function of money. A living example, Venezuela. Venezuela provides a tangible macro and micro example of the vital role money plays in economic coordination and the dysfunction that follows when a monetary good fails. 
Venezuela is one of the most oil-rich countries in the world, but as an end-game function of monetary debasement, Venezuela's currency has recently hyperinflated. As its currency has deteriorated, basic economic functions have broken down to the point where getting food at grocery stores or basic health care is no longer the baseline. It is a full-on humanitarian crisis, and at the root level, it is a function of Venezuela no longer having a stable currency to coordinate economic activity and to facilitate the production of the goods it needs to trade within the global economy. How does this relate to Bitcoin and energy consumption? Being an energy-rich country, oil was and is Venezuela's primary export, or rather, the good it needs to produce in order to trade. Despite being one of the most energy-rich countries in the world, Venezuela's oil production is plummeting. Venezuela can no longer import the technology or coordinate the resources it needs to extract its primary trading currency, oil. This has caused significant deterioration in its local economy, impairing its ability to produce the electricity needed to power its own energy grids, causing extended blackouts and preventing the delivery of basic services such as power, clean water, or health care. What is occurring in Venezuela is devastating, and it is a function of the economic deterioration caused by hyperinflation. Monetary debasement distorts the price mechanism of a currency, which then creates economic imbalances. As economic coordination deteriorates, complex supply chains become disrupted, resulting in a decline in the supply of real goods, for example, food on shelves, oil production, etc., and an imbalance between supply and demand. As more money is created, real goods become relatively scarce compared to the supply of money, which causes the very function of money to break down. Individuals have a disincentive to hold currency as real goods become more and more scarce. Instead, choosing to sell currency as quickly as possible, creating a run on basic necessities and causing the currency to hyperinflate. Economic Deterioration by Monetary Manipulation 101 the Developed World Application Now, many sitting comfortably in the developed world will look at Venezuela and think, it could never happen here. But that ignores all first principles. Whether it is well understood or not, the market structure of the Venezuelan Bolivar, or the Argentine Peso, is identical to that of the dollar, the euro, or the yen. The Fed, the European Central Bank, or the Bank of Japan may be better at managing stability, for now, but it does not change the fact that the underpinnings of all fiat currency systems are the same. To highlight the U.S. as an example, the Federal Reserve expanded the monetary base from $180 billion in 1984 to a peak of $4.2 trillion following QE3, an increase of 23x. Because of the nature of the Fed's credit-based economy, the economic distortion of this debasement occurred gradually until the financial crisis, which occurred suddenly. And as a function of quantitative easing, we presently sit further out on the same ledge. If you believe the developed world is not in a precarious situation, 
or not subject to a similar monetary foundation as Venezuela, I would respectfully point to patience zero, the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of Japan. Often, faith placed in these institutions is blind to both first principles and common sense, but consider the quote below from a resident Fed economist during the aftermath of the financial crisis, and as the Fed was in the middle innings of creating 3.6 trillion new dollars as part of quantitative easing. Quote, Also, I want to just emphasize that I think the gaps in our understanding of the interactions between the financial sector and the real sector are profound. End quote. David Wilcox, Fed Economist, August 2011. An honest review of history demonstrates the ill temperament of those put in charge of managing our economies from central command. While admitting profound gaps in their ability to understand the implications of actions taken on the real economy, the response was to continue down the same path, but in a bigger way, while expecting a different result, the definition of insanity. Now, as we face the consequences of the response to the crisis, we have a choice between two great contrasts. A, a centrally planned form of currency that is designed to lose its value, or B, a decentralized currency with a fixed supply. The latter comes with cost in the form of energy consumption, but the positive externality will be long-term economic stability. Economic stability via energy consumption. Future economic stability is fundamentally why there can be no more important source of demand for the consumption of energy than the security of Bitcoin's monetary system, especially when the alternatives, fiat and gold, are structurally flawed. If we wait to see the signs of hyperinflation, we've already lost. But Venezuela is not just an example of what transpires as a result of hyperinflation. It is a living example of the importance of energy production to the functioning of society. Some energy input is required for everything that we consume in our daily lives. The coordination of those energy inputs is dependent on the reliability and stability of the money we use. Ignore your morning coffee for a minute and think basics. Clean water, sanitation, food, medicine, basic health care, etc. The coordination of resources to deliver these basic services is dependent on a functioning monetary system. When a monetary system breaks down, social coordination and even the social fabric begins to go with it. If the basis of all trade is energy, and if we need money to coordinate trade, the highest and best use of that energy should first be to protect the monetary system. Put your proverbial oxygen mask on first and then shift to dependence. Secure the foundation of trade and then focus on all of the derivatives. Any and all concerns about the amount of energy Bitcoin consumes or will consume is a red herring. It is not that we should sacrifice electricity that could otherwise power homes. Instead, it's that we will never have the electricity to power those homes if we do not have a reliable monetary system to coordinate economic activity and marshal resources. In practice, 
Bitcoin will not practically compete for the same energy sources that fuel the basic productive and consumptive functions of our economy. It's not zero-sum. Instead, Bitcoin's function as a currency system will ensure that those very energy needs can continue to be fulfilled. What would be bad for society is if more countries deteriorated into the economic and humanitarian disaster that is Venezuela, where basic health and human services cannot be reliably provided. And this is not to present a draconian vision or a dystopian future. Instead, it is to articulate the importance and interconnectedness of both the money function and the energy function in complex, highly specialized economies. Quote, If it prevents one instance of hyperinflation such as Venezuela from happening, Bitcoin's energy consumption would be the best bargain humanity ever got. End quote. Safety Namas, the Bitcoin Standard Research Bulletin. Bitcoin represents a backup switch to the current architecture of the global financial system and is soon to be its primary engine. Setting aside the systemic risks that currently plague our financial system, Bitcoin is a fundamentally more sound monetary system from the ground up. And it is one secured by the production and consumption of energy. You do not have to believe that the dollar's fate will be that of the Venezuelan Bolivar to recognize the importance and interplay between the stability of a monetary function and the production of energy resources that provide basic economic necessities, and the risk inherent in even the possibility of hyperinflation is so negatively asymmetric that the price of Bitcoin energy consumption is of small relative cost. Bitcoin will consume any and all energy resources necessary to secure its monetary network, which is inherently driven by the base demand to hold it as a currency. The more people that value the long-term stability it provides, the more energy it will consume. In the end, this consumption will ensure all other derivatives of energy consumption will continue to be fulfilled, which is why there is no more important long-term use of energy than securing the Bitcoin network. Put a price on economic stability and the economic freedom a stable monetary system provides. That is the true justification for the amount of energy Bitcoin should and will consume. Everything else is a distraction. Next week, Bitcoin is not too slow. All right, now let's hit our sponsor real quick. I want to uh, dig into this piece some uh, because I just, I love the tactic that this takes in contrary uh, to. Uh, other pieces that are about the energy argument, which, like he said, he ha kind of has those bullet points towards the beginning um, about the typical assumption of the uh, alternative argument that, you know, oh, well, the energy consumption is good. Oh, well, it's mostly renewable resources and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I want to get into this. Uh, let's hit our sponsor real quick and we'll jump right back in. This is the most important argument in the entire, and the, the whole argument for uh, the energy consumption of Bitcoin is that it's providing an alternative and more sound means of securing, securing the monetary system. I love the analogy of the put your oxygen mask on first before 
um, you uh, put the oxygen mask on your child, is that there is no more important use case in the hierarchy of things that we can actually get done, of goals and like uh, goals that we have within the economy to coordinate resources for this reason or this reason or to be efficient at all, to know where resources are actually needed to be allocated in the economy, to know what the value of one thing is in relation to another so that we can actually coordinate economic activity between people. Like, I cannot, you can't stress enough how critically important it is to understand that money is the foundation of society. Without it, society literally doesn't exist. It only exists because we can cooperate with people we do not know, who believe differently than we, than we do, who uh, exist in social circles that are outside of our own. It is the only way to scale society past Dunbar's number, the 150-ish uh, group of people, because we cannot know or understand relationships with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. We need an independent protocol to organize economic activity on that scale. And without that protocol, money is that protocol. Without it, everything falls apart. And Venezuela is, again, the perfect example, is that everything just stops working. You can't get food. Grocery stores have empty shelves. Why? It's not as if all the machines broke. It's not as if all the people suddenly can't work, like everybody lost their thumbs. Like, none of that happened. The only thing that happened to Venezuela is that the money stopped working as a coordination mechanism and started working as a disinformation mechanism. To, to, it, it failed to transmit value from one place to the next and to transmit it across time. The job of money stopped working, and therefore, so did everything else, because nothing else in the economy works without money. And that's the, that's the underlying argument of this entire piece, and it is why justifying the energy consumption, if you're ignorant of money, if you don't know anything about the, the critical role that it plays in the economy and how uh, the, the economy actually coordinates these resources, like how all of this actually exists, well, then of course you think it's a waste of energy because you take that for granted because we think, oh, well, obviously everybody would just coordinate and work together and everything would be hunky-dory, why, why are we just spending all these excess resources for no reason at all? And then you get, up, get some of those stupid articles talking about like just trying to measure how much energy it is. And to think that this is happening at a global scale, that this is happening in a money without borders. This is happening in a money without jurisdiction. Like I'd say you're, you're, ten, you're 10 times on the dollar. You're, like, every dollar that you waste building bank vaults for, uh, uh, for, uh, for cash, for, for dollars, for the U.S. dollar or the euro, or for propping up their uh, settlement system and giving more control and more authority to the banks to censor uh, transactions to decide who should and should not get credit, et cetera, et cetera. Like, the more you centralize those systems, it'd be worth spending 20 times that amount of money to get the benefit that Bitcoin gives. And it's not. We don't spend as much money on Bitcoin as we do securing the corrupt, manipulative uh, uh, financial system that currently reigns around the world. And the one that uh, is, uh, has the highest punishment for the poor that 
fails to provide services to the people who need it absolutely the most. And uh, that leads to such unbelievable corruption and manipulation and moral hazard within the economy as to just confiscate and obliterate the value of trillions of dollars and hundreds of millions of people's lives with no recourse, with no backup, with no exit valve for people to walk away from that system. The fact that Bitcoin is providing that and we want to complain about how many heaters it's running, like not, not an issue. Absolutely not an issue. We will solve everything else only after we have a sound and secure monetary system with which to coordinate all of the other functions we are trying to do. All of our other goals come after the monetary base. The analogy I always like to use too, just in the nature of the ledger, like what proof of work does outside of its consensus mechanism, outside of actually just coordinating the truth of the monetary standard, essentially, um, is that it's, it's simultaneously providing a resistance to manipulation, an inability or a, a real cost to editing the system, one that proof of stake does not have. Um, like uh, basically all the alternatives are just some degree of trust distribution or an attempt to um, break up trust into kind of a self-fulfilling um, feedback loop, I guess you could say, where um, if trust is violated, well, then the majority can essentially punish the violator. But none of it still has the actual, the real cost, the bridge that proof of work is between the physical and the digital. Everything else is just an abstraction of it. Proof of work is actually a proof of a physical security. It's, a, it's like an invisible force field around the ability or providing the inability to edit the, uh, the Bitcoin ledger. It is literally like a vault that we are putting all of the value in, and it is the value of the entire network. So when somebody says that, oh, a transaction costs uh, $10,000 in energy or whatever because that's how much transactions go into a block, well, they're forgetting that every other thing on the Bitcoin blockchain, the entire value of the network is being secured by this same thing. It's All of these arguments are based in such unbelievable ignorance, both from Bitcoin as the system, proof of work as a consensus mechanism, proof of work as a defense mechanism against the editing of the chain, and then, of course, uh, uh, what, uh, the, the idea that it is cum cumulative, that every, piece, every new proof of work stacks on top of the previous, making everything in the chain uh, stronger and harder to uh, corrupt. And there could not be, in, in the age of trillions and trillions of dollars of manipulation, price controls, and just utter corruption across our financial system, there is no service that could be as beautifully valuable in our current economic state as provable economic and financial integrity. That is what Bitcoin is selling. It is selling transaction assurance. It is selling ledger integrity. It is the highest assurance uh, accounting ledger in the whole world. And it has no borders, and it has no jurisdiction, and no court can compete with it. If some court or president or a political uh, uh, congress or whatever it is wants to manipulate 
that ledger for their benefit or for the benefit of some special interest, none of them have that capability. They all have, they all must pay the same price as anyone else to make any changes or extensions of the Bitcoin ledger. The fact that that can be done in a decentralized way, in a, in a global economy, totally in spite of the dictates of uh, authoritarian governments across the world, is unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. And I, love the, I love the quote by uh, Saifedean towards the end that, uh, uh, let, me, let me just read it here. If it prevents one instance of hyperinflation, such as Venezuela, from happening, Bitcoin's energy consumption would be the best bargain humanity ever got. That could not be more just perfect as far as, like, like just, just one, if it just stops this happening one more time, something that is frighteningly uh, uh, frequent in our global economy and where so many countries are in such a terrible state as to make it look like there are 10 or 15 other countries lined up be- behind Venezuela in their same situation. But the fact that the, it's absolutely true, just one, to save the lives and the, the, the long-term stability and the economic productivity of millions of people just once is so totally worth it. Absolutely 100% worth it. But that is not what Bitcoin is set to do. Bitcoin is set to do, if it succeeds, if we actually get it as a global reserve, it could actually put hyperinflation into the history books permanently as an impossibility in the future of actually sound, digitally sound, provably sound money. And the, just the, just, just a 10% chance of that happening is worth anything we could possibly come up with in terms of energy to spend on it. It is literally a vault thousands of yards thick of concrete, steel, and titanium around the economic activity of the entire globe. And the, the stronger we can make that vault, the better. You will never hear me complain about any amount of energy spent making Bitcoin more secure. Because nothing else matters as much as that. Everything else is derivative. Secure the money, and anything else is possible. You don't secure the money, nothing is not dependent on the corruption of that money. If you start ruining the money, nothing else can even be, nothing can get done. We won't have healthcare, we won't have, uh, we won't have food, we won't have clean water, we, don't, we won't have electricity. If we let our money fall to the corruption and the constant debasement of political institutions, there is nothing else that we can get done. So if we're worried about the energy consumption, that is the place that, it, that that is the place where the solution to all of our problems start. So, all right, that's uh, I just uh, really love this piece. Um, uh, glad I jumped into that one today. Uh, I'm a little low on time though, so that's my that's my rant after this show. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Do not forget again to follow Parker Lewis and Unchained Capital. Again, this was on their blog at unchained-capital.com. 
I've, I've been loving the Gradually Then Suddenly series, and I highly recommend uh, everybody else to jump up there. Make sure you follow those two and all the, all the work that they're doing. I love this blog. This is really one of my favorite blogs lately. This one, I've been reading a lot from it. So I hope you guys have been enjoying it too. Again, I am Guy Swan. You can find me on uh, Twitter at The Crypto Economy. Don't forget that if you want to join into the Telegram group um, with the rest of the Crypto Economy crew, uh, you can become a patron and help support keeping this show alive and keeping this work coming um, at patreon.com slash the crypto economy. And of course, you can always I have plenty of um, places that you can support the show as well. If you don't want to do the Patreon thing, we've got you know, tipping.me, uh, bottle.li, all the, all the lightning tip jar stuff, um, which I love to play around with. So um, always another good excuse. And I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who has supported the show so far. And um, uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it coming as long as I can. Uh, Again, I am Guy Swan. This is the Crypto Economy. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share this out with everybody you know in the Bitcoin and Crypto Economy space so they too can get audio of all the most amazing works and ideas and uh, literature in the Bitcoin space because that's what I'm doing here. This is The Crypto Economy with Guy Swan. And until next time, take it easy, guys. (laughs) 